I feel the need. The, the need, need for speed. speed. episode of a thousand and one by one where we take a film out of the wonderful book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam st john sometimes i go by maverick my name is ian woodington and maybe for this episode i'll go by goose i don't know i maverick is the first one i was like are you who's the i'll even be somebody else i can be Iceman, or is that too pretentious i don't know do you really want to associate yourself with Val Kilmer? I like Val Kilmer. Yeah, but do you like Val Kilmer now? I don't know. What a weird way to start this episode. I, know, I right? gotta I, say, I, it. and actually now I feel bad about doing saying that because he's a cancer survivor. Like, good for you, man. Yeah, fuck yeah. I, I, I do. I like Val Kilmer. <laughs> so, anyways, um, before we get into talking about um Top Gun today, uh, we are gonna bring some recommendations this week. I have no idea who's going first. I'll go first. Okay, what do you got, buddy? I got Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. <laughs> I, I, currently, I currently stream, at least at this recording. Well, no, actually, it's well, it's always going to be on Prime. Uh, I think Amazon bought it, the, bought the distribution rights for it. It's a Gus Van Sant film. Okay. Uh, I'm surprised you've not heard of this one. Um, I have, yeah, I have not. Joaquin Phoenix and Jonah Hill are in it, and... Uh, you know, he's Gus Van Sant, he's a he's a very Oregon centric filmmaker. He loves making his movies up there in, in Portland and all of that. Or down sorry, down there. Portland is Well, yeah, sure. Below down us south. If you equate down like, with south, yeah, yeah I, I got gotcha. you. Point on the compass. Um <laughs> This is not going well. Anyway, so Joaquin Phoenix is a Get out of my jet wash! That that actually ooh, that genuine that startled me. Ooh. <laughs> I got the, I got those great balls of fire. <laughs> we are not saying. You know what? You know how serious last week was. This is like not even. <laughs> okay, no, sorry, sorry. And what's the name of this movie again? It's called "Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot." Joaquin Phoenix is an alcoholic, in the movie, and uh, he gets into a terrible car crash with um, Jack Black. Actually, Jack Black is at the wheel. Oh. Uh, and he's, they're both way more drunk than they should be. And it ends up in, in Jack Black pretty much walks away from the crash unscathed. Uh, what's great is you don't see the crash. There's just a quick shot of the aftermath. So walking, laying there in the street and, uh, you know, the car like flipped upside down and a lamppost like cleaved in half kind of thing. Okay. Um, anyway, he, he loses pretty much all his, he loses the use of his legs and a lot of, uh, pretty much everything from the chest down. He's able to rehabilitate himself enough to the point where he can use his hands and he ends up becoming a cartoonist and doing some very, very basic kind of drawings because he's got to kind of use both hands. Okay. Um, and he becomes a, not a political car- cartoonist, but he does do things that are, are shocking and, are, and provoke a reaction and he's a bit controversial. I mean, he, he's playing a real guy. Oh, okay, uh, okay. And this guy, unfortunately, I believe he passed in, in 2010. Um, 
but you, you one of those portland centric people one of those great people that make up you know the, the the great city that is portland yeah very true um jonah hill in this though i mean i know we've talked about jonah hill wait till i talked about jonah hill a weeks back with his directorial debut and yeah. which is funny because the kid in mid 90s actually has a very small role in this oh yeah um Jonah Hill plays um, this, he's not over the top, wonderfully kind of flamboyant as some people do when they play gay characters. He's, yeah. he's very reserved and very, it's very, it's, it's kind of an understated performance, but it's that next great step on the road to the actor that we all know that Jonah Hill can be. I mean, he's, I mean, what do they say? And this is the end. You're an Academy Award nominated person now, <laughs> you know, who's, cause who saw Moneyball? Who saw the kid? in Superbad yeah. going on to do something like Moneyball. And this yeah. is just another one of those great stuff. He's even better than, than Joaquin Phoenix is in this. Oh, okay. Which wow. Which is saying yeah, something. That like is. It's, and so he plays um, he plays this uh, this very well-liked sponsor. He's, he's got several people that he sponsors from this AA group. He calls them his piglets, <laughs> which is great because, one, they, they like being called piglets, and, two, it's because he has this wonderful, beautiful moment where Joaquin asks him, why do, why do you call them piglets? And, of course, he says, so, yeah, one, because they like being called that, and, two, because, you know, think about a piglet. Think about how big and scary the world is. But every once in a while, a piglet will do something, you know, it'll 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 break its cycle of fear about how big the world is and actually accomplish something. You know what I mean? It'll be able to leave the pen one day or something. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much the point that he's trying to get across. Yeah. Anyway, and it's just a, a very simple biopic. There's nothing really over the, well, there never really is with Gus Van Sant films. There's nothing overly flashy about it, but it is, it's just a really good, I think it's the best thing that Gus Van Sant has done, honestly, since Goodwill Hunting or the days of My Private Idaho. Sure. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's he fantastic. Seems, he seems to be a director, and and I, I'm I'm not totally familiar with his filmography, and I've but I've seen I've seen a fair amount. It, it seems like it's a it's about a decade or so between re- like really good movies, and I haven't seen a, a, everything. Um, and and there's one of his that everybody seems to love that I don't. I I'm not a fan of Elephant. I, oh, I still I still have not seen Elephant. I know that his that was kind of like his kind of. His, his Columbine yes. movie, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, school shooting. I mean, that's not it's not trying to tell the story of Columbine, and I have issues with that movie that, um, basically stem to the 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 reason, or I will say, lack thereof, that the guys do what they do, the shooters in the movie. I don't. People, I think, I think applaud its its um, its its natural take. Like it's very realistic. Um, and I I get that, but. I, the story itself is is wanting a lot and and but but the Gus Van Sant films that I like I I love yeah. so yeah and I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes one of them if you get the chance good, to see great it. I think you will like this one a lot okay cool um so uh, my recommendation has nothing to do with this movie at all um and I think I might offend you a little bit because Ooh, now I, I'm excited because no not and not in, a, in 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 a way that I I I'm fairly confident. I am fairly confident that this is the first time I've seen this movie. And I thought I'd seen it before and I got about five minutes in and realized, Oh no, no, I haven't. It's a movie I've convinced myself I'd seen and then realized I hadn't. And my recommendation is the professional as in Leon, the professional as in Leon, the professional. Oh wow. I was convinced. 
I had seen this movie. I am so surprised it took you 32 years to see that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know it came out in 94, but whatever. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, and then I, I just realized very quickly, it's like, oh, nope, nope, haven't actually seen it. So... If you haven't seen this movie, please don't shit on this film. No, no, no. It's my recommendation. Okay, good. No, I, no. Sometimes, the, sometimes we do non-recommendations. The hot though. take, the hot take was that I hadn't seen it. Okay. Offending you by my lack of no, viewing it. No, no, no. It. Why would that offend me? I'm, I'm so excited because I hadn't seen it. You um, get, you get to have that first time. I, I still remember Leon the first time I saw yeah. it very, very fondly. Um, and so the, the very, yeah, the very basic plot of this movie is uh, Jean Reno and, and probably the best thing he's done. I, 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 I think this is his best performance. It's so. It, it's, I mean, he's it's, pretty good in Ronan. It's so it, no, he is, but Jean Reno gets to do more in this movie. I mean, clearly, it's a movie. It's 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 about him. Um, yeah, he, he usually plays very one beat. Yeah, sort of characters. Yes, uh, but it's yeah. It's, it's, so Jean Reno is this contract killer, um, who uh, it seems like he gets all of his work from Danny Aiello's character, who uh, obviously is more than just a pizzeria owner, but you know that's where he is most of the time. And do you think this was his response to what happened at the end of Do the Right Thing? <laughs> he he wait, he's he's Sal and do the right thing, right? Yeah. I don't know what his name is in in and I can't remember his name in professional. It, he's just Sal. Oh, oh great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it is just a direct <laughs> continuation. Um no, the, oh, you didn't know that. Oh, is it Le- Sal? Le- Leon is no, he's uh, not. I was going to make oh, a joke. Leon is the it. sequel to, to do, do the right, right thing. thing. That's perfect. <laughs> it's a it's a spiritual sequel. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um and uh so but um so Jean Reno lives uh, down the hall from this sort of really uh, dysfunctional family of whom um, the middle child, the daughter, is played by Natalie Portman. And her dad owes some money and or drugs to um, to a wonderfully over-the-top... How good is Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman in, this? in this movie? Whom, uh, at first, the way that the story is told, you assume is a bad... He's a, he's a drug dealer. He's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. But what we end up finding out is he's a D... E A agent. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, who uh is probably like an undercover guy, but a bad, bad police officer, and is using his power to get money and drugs and, and power and things that he probably shouldn't have. Uh, and in the process, Natalie Portman's entire family gets obliterated because she's out getting groceries. But she very, she very smartly uh, avoids that that situation. Um, pleads for Jean Reno's character to let let her in. And thus begins this relationship between the two of them. And um, Natalie Portman has still never been as good as she is in Leon. I disagree, but she is very good in this movie. Um, Continue. Closer and Black Swan are, are really good performances. Yeah. Um, and so this 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 relationship builds, and Natalie Portman wants to become a contract killer. She wants to be trained. She basically wants to go and get the people that hurt her family. And he's and Jean Reno is very reluctant, but he ends up teaching her how to do it in, in these ways, and and it thus begins this really interesting relationship. And he develops a real fondness for her. Um, I think some people have have criticized the relationship as being um, a little too uh, familiar. Well, they uh, they toned it down for the, and I don't know which version you saw. Oh, I'm not sure. It, it's really toned down in the U.S. version. The the, the longer cut, the, and this is how to differentiate them. The U.S. cut is called The Professional. Okay, and then. Everywhere else, it's called Leon, and then I think when they put it out on video, it's it's called both. Yeah, it, it, and it, I, at least the version I have has both cuts on it. Okay, anyway. I must have a very old version, um, because it's 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 just the professional, which I probably saw. But anyway, but but in, but yeah, but anyway, this this very interesting relationship forms between them because Natalie Portman is playing. I think she's like eleven in the movie. I think or nine. I want to say it's nine or eleven. Um, 
I think I think she was actually I think she was fourteen when they shot it, and, and, well, she, and, she, and she's not and she's not playing fourteen. No, though. I meant yeah, I meant her character. Yeah, yeah. I meant the character. Yeah, but um, and uh, ultimately Natalie Portman tries to go and take care of things on her own, and she can't. And it, this pushes Jean Reno into a point in the movie where we've never we haven't seen him. He goes, he gets like this is revenge. Like he's going to get her back. And uh, the last part of the movie is insane. Basically, once they try to, uh, they they raid the like the apartment and they everyone. Oh god, everyone! Gary Oldman is fucking nuts in this movie. Um, his little head tilt with the pill. Oh god, he's creepy. I, as I shit. love Beethoven. Um, and there's a, great, a lot a lot of great supporting. Um. Ellen Green is in this as her mom, and I forget who. Oh, B- Badalucci or I forget, who? Somebody plays her dad, who's in a bunch of Coen Brothers movies. I can't think of his name. Yeah, no, he's, he's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. I mean, it's, it's it's an old movie. My recommendations have been not very recent movies, but hey, I haven't seen it, and uh, there's a chance you haven't either. So I I recommend it. It is a it's a good watch. Did you watch it with Melissa? No, I didn't. Oh, I would love to have known what she thinks of it. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, like, I actually, I really enjoyed it, so I'm sure. It, well, I'm sure we'll watch it. I, I, that's I've, point. I've lost count of how many times I've seen. Yeah. Leon. Well, now, but now I've seen it, so I'm now there in that club. What do you think of that Sting song at the end, though? You know what's so funny is I knew the song before. Oh wow. The movie, because I think Sting wrote it for the movie. Um. So, so, so I probably had a different reaction because I was like, oh yeah, one of one of Sting's songs that doesn't bug me. Because you actually can hear what he's saying. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that, ooh, yeah, good point. Good point. That's a hard man to understand, that sting. Um, well, anyways, uh, we're going to get past that. So uh, we came to you, our dear listeners, with a, a poll. Um, it was sort of. It was exciting. It was a patriotic poll. Uh, it was, it was, they, these films were separated by a decade. They were the number one film, uh, box office wise, of 1986 and 1996, respectively. And this shit was tight. This was a close, close poll. Um, and in the end, uh, Independence Day ultimately lost to Top Gun. And it was uh, like 8% or something. Yeah, it was Super close. It was margin. really close. Yeah. A couple of votes. But it, don't worry. We've, we've, we've heard that. We'll come back to Independence Day. Oh, yeah. 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 Of course. Um, and so, yeah, this week we are talking about Top Gun, directed by the late, great Tony Scott. Um, written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. based on a, a California Magazine article. Can you help me out? I do not know how to say this guy's name. I'm just going to go Ehud Yone. Let's do that. Ehud yeah. Yone. Um, uh, was... I, I did try reading the article. Oh, yeah? I'm not going to lie. I didn't get very far. It's, yeah. It gets pretty technical pretty quick. And I was like, I well, just I can't. And, and I was going to say, this seems like this is adapted in the, in the sense that, oh, this place exists. And that's about it. <laughs> Um, well, I love hearing about all the things that came out of the script in order to get the Navy's involvement. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, so Cougar who loses his shit at the beginning and therefore Mav and, uh, and Goose and Goose are able to slide into his number one spot and end up going off to, to Miramar. Uh, originally he was going to die. He was going to like eat it on the deck of the aircraft carrier. He was going to crash because mm. The scariest thing that these guys do isn't dogfighting. It's not any of that air-to-air combat shit. It's landing on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's some that that is what gives these guys PTSD more than anything else. Um, well, you, you mentioned Mav and Goose, so let's let's talk about who's in this movie. Um, and this is a big cast. Um, I'll get through most of these. Great, great cast. It is. It, it is a good cast. So we got uh Tom Cruise uh, as Maverick. 
Um, Anthony Edwards as Goose. Kelly McGillis plays Charlie. Val Kilmer as Iceman. Tom Skerritt as Viper. Michael Ironside as Jester. Um, John Stockwell plays Cougar. Uh, Rick Rosovich is Slider. Tim Robbins is Merlin. Tim Robbins is in this fucking movie. Um, uh, um, James Tolkien is Stinger. Oh, James Tolkien. Uh, and the only other one I have was uh, uh, in her first film, Meg Ryan is Carol. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and she just, she's not in it much. She leaves, but she leaves a lasting impression. I think she's, she's fun, my unsung hero. She's, she's a fun little break. I have, I have two unsung Exactly he- when this movie needs it. I, I, I have two unsung heroes, but one is very, is kind of sung, but I think it leaves a lot. But I, I think Meg Ryan is my unsung hero of this movie. Oh, that's wonderful. She's, she is a, she's a ray of sunshine in this movie, I yes. will say. A much needed. Um, so, Tony Scott has no other films in the book. Now, do you want to do this now or do you want to do this later? Why don't we save it for the end like we did with, with okay. Gilliam? Unless, unless you want to do it. No, 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 no that's fine. To. Nope. Okay. We will. We, we were going we're gonna to do a little Tony Scott filmography discussion towards the end of this. So, we'll save that for later. The other movies that he's done. Um, so, yeah. His only film. I mean, we've discussed Ridley when we did our Alien Ups. Ed, Ridley's got four. Yes. Now, this is an opportunity. My, I have to get this quote in. Okay. I have to. Do it. I, Tony was interviewed around the time I think he was making Domino. Okay. And uh, somebody was talking to him about the differences between his style of filmmaking and Ridley's. And he was going, about, oh, yeah, no, Ridley can, Ridley can make a great Toga film, you know, <laughs> which is good. But the, the quote that I love is that um, they were talking about why doesn't he make more films like Ridley? And he's like, you know what? Ridley makes films for posterity. My films are more rock and roll. <laughs> That sums up his career perfectly. He I, is a rock and roll filmmaker. Yes, yes. Even when the movies don't need to be, he is a rock and roll filmmaker. Like, I'm, I'm, like Domino. I'm well, and Enemy of the State. Oh, are we gonna rag on? No, Enemy of the State? no. I'm not ragging on Enemy of the State. That's a movie that doesn't need to be rock and roll. That is rock and roll. That's a rock and roll movie. And it's it makes it so much better. Yes. Otherwise, it could just fall into obscurity and just be another nothing <laughs> thriller. Yeah, um, so, a- accolades. Uh, this movie was nominated for four Academy Awards. Editing, sound mixing, sound effects editing, and what it won, best song. But not for Danger Zone, for Take My Breath Away. Um, it uh, Take My Breath Away also won best song at the Golden Globes. Um Hey, uh, Harold Faltermeyer's score was nominated at the Golden Globes, but it did not win. It lost to Ennio Morricone for The Mission, which I don't know if you've seen The Mission, but I, that score is breathtaking. I haven't seen the score since high school. Or, sorry, The Mission since high school. Yeah. Um, sorry, and I, I totally gl- uh, glossed over Academy Awards. Did you want to talk about... Um, what it lost to? Because so it... this was this was 86, so I know it lost the sound ones to Platoon. Did it also lose editing? It lost editing and sound to Platoon oh, and were... sound effects editing to Aliens. Oh, okay, great. Oh, and, and like, and well, actually, I want to get to this because um, just really quick. So the top five films of 1986, box office wise, because obviously Top Gun was the number one with 177 million. A very close second, which could have totally altered the way we did this poll, was Crocodile Dundee, which I've, I've not seen, but was a big hit when it came out. So here's the urban myth. At some point, at some somewhere on Earth right now on some radio station... Every breath you take is playing. Right now, again, the urban myth is that somewhere on this earth, on some TV channel, Crocodile Dundee is playing. That film supposedly is never not on. Somewhere. Somehow. Okay. There you go. I don't know. I just... I, I, I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but I kind of hope it is. Let's just say that it is. 
Um, so, uh, so uh, uh, Platoon was the third highest grossing film that year with 139 million. Uh, number four was Karate Kid Part Two at 115 million, and uh, the fifth and the only other movie to make more than 100 million that year was Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. God, uh, this is how I know I'm not a Trek fan. I hate that movie. I I don't I, I haven't seen any of them, so that's fine. Um, um, uh, at the Motion Picture Sound Editors Guild, it won um, sound effects and ADR. Um, this this was the movie that definitely uh, sound and effects was a it, it swept. I mean, I, there was a shitload of guilds I could have listed, but I, I've actually heard of the Motion Picture Sound Editors Guild. Everything else is just it, it won. You know, at any 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 critics choice any other thing it it, it won um hey ian was this film inducted into the national film registry very recently yeah in 2015 yes it was um so we're never not gonna have it that's true uh this movie is not on the imdb 250 um rotten tomatoes rotten tomatoes is interesting to say the least but 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 i will say but it makes the sense. way it makes yes, total it, sense yes so um its critical score is 55 but its audience score is 83. So this is definitely a people-pleasing movie. I have a review or part of one that I want to read. Is it Roger Ebert's? It is. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And it's, it really is. And it says everything about this movie that I think you're going to use. I, this is exactly the quote I okay. have. I know exactly what you're going to say. Top Gun. Two and a half star review. Yes, two and a half stars. Top Gun settles fairly quickly into alternating ground and air scenes, and the simplest way to sum up the movie is to declare the air scenes brilliant and the earthbound scenes grimly predictable. This is a movie that comes in two parts. It knows exactly what to do with special effects, but doesn't have a clue as to how two people in love might act and talk and think. End quote. Oh, wait, that's not the quote that I have. Oh. The quote I have is probably, I think, the next paragraph down from that, if I remember right. Movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless. The dogfights are absolutely the best since Clint Eastwood's electrifying aerial scenes in Firefox. But look out for the scenes where the people talk to one another. See, I I read that too, but I just, I I thought that paragraph summed up, just that paragraph was so, it's so accurately described kind of the thoughts of this movie. And one, so, okay. Before we, we launch into the movie, and before we even we talk about the plot and our, and our things, I just want to say how I, I mentioned this before we recorded how iconic not just this movie is, but this soundtrack. I mean, this movie, the soundtrack went platinum nine times. It, soundtracks just don't do that. I mean, you're no, looking you're looking at like Queen Greatest Hits and Michael Jackson Thriller numbers there. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge, and and it's you know in a time where movies did have like you know when ghostbusters came out you know and and um flash dance and there were especially in the 80s too there were a lot of um uh pop hits uh written for movies that actually were successful sort of um on a on an accolade level for awards and things but i mean there were three pretty big hits from this movie i mean take my breath away and danger zone were at one time number 1 and 2 on the billboard top 100 from the same goddamn soundtrack that that doesn't happen and I am not a music guy by any means, but I know when something rare happens, and that's pretty fucking rare. So there you go. There it is. And no. will and I I will be I and I just gotta admit this. For the longest time, I did not know that the lines were I went to the danger zone. I thought it was highway to the danger zone. Just gonna put it out there. When I when I first heard it, I thought highway oh and, and like he's on the Harley. yeah he's he's on the highway to the danger zone and not not realizing that i'm 
Yeah, I, I think it's better that way. Let's just say he says highway. Well, it's whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, although what 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 won't age well is um <laughs> Kenny Loggins look in the music video. It is rough. Um. Okay. So I just wanted to get that aside. But how? Let me ask you this: How yeah. long was the theme? Not Danger Zone or Take My Breath Away, but the Faltermeyer's theme. How long was that stuck in your head after you watched it? Because it took me a good couple hours to shake it. And probably probably about twenty minutes. But oh. but honestly, I'm left. But I'm left more with the songs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just so goddamn catchy. They really are. Okay. So do we want to try to break down the plot of this of this nonsense movie? Uh, you you can try. So basically, <laughs> we've got Maverick and Goose. This is Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards, and they are um, they are uh, they are a pair of um, a pilots on on what are they F eighteens or whatever they are F fourteen F fourteens and they're Mavericks. Yes, they are. So it's not just a clever name. They are yeah they are um doing uh, they're out there and they they do this very very fancy move where they go inverted um with a, a MIG. And um, Tom Cruise slips him the bird. And we you basically... Know, I, you know, ma'am, I was giving him the bird. We basically... We catch on really early that, that Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards are sort of the renegade crew, mostly because of Tom Cruise. Um, who am I kidding? Like, 99% Tom Cruise. And um, there's this Top Gun school in, in, like, at, at Myanmar um, where only the best cadets fly. And... Um, after this this experience with a Russian MiG, uh, Cougar, as you said, and it's a Cougar and Merlin. Is yeah, that, it's Cougar and Merlin. Um, they have a shaky incident, and Cougar kind of loses his shit. Um, Tom Cruise eventually kind of helps them get to uh, to the to the um, the aircraft carrier, and Tom Cruise gets chewed out for doing it. But they, they have, there's a second spot to basically go to fill in, uh, or they can they can take over the spot. So they go to Top Gun. And that's the movie. I mean, th- there's really, I mean, you know, Tom Cruise meets Charlie at a bar. We have the very, the very famous, um, you've lost, lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. We don't have to do the whole thing. Um, oh, oh, no, we get that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, so he meets Charlie and doesn't realize that she's going to be who's basically training them. And of course, oh, of course she is because that's got to be awkward. And we also get to, and then once we meet the crew, we get to meet Michael Ironside and and um, and Tom Skerritt, and we meet Val Kilmer and Rick Rossovich, and that and that the, that's the that's the team to, to to look out for. It's Iceman. Iceman's the top pilot, and he's apparently going to win. But this movie isn't about anything. This movie isn't. It's not. I mean, it's it's about who's going to win. Who's going to take first place at Top Gun. And how much of a dick Tom Cruise is in the movie, which ultimately is the biggest takeaway. I, I is, yeah. They, they, I don't I was, care about Tom Cruise. No, they antagonize the Iceman character. They make him out to be the antagonist, but no, all he ever does in this movie is just spout common sense. Yeah, yeah you're you're dangerous up there. I don't like you because you're dangerous. Yeah, fuck yeah, he is. <laughs> He's doing stupid shit like buzzing the tower, and and it's one of those things where I don't. Okay, so so that's the basic plot. If you haven't seen Top Gun, I, don't, I, I can't help you out. That's basically what it is. It's, it's at Top Gun, and who's going to be the best Top Gunner, which is not a term they use in the movie. I just am saying that to be facetious. But Did you read that at the actual Miramar school, if anybody quotes Top Gun, they get a $5 fine? I did. I, I, again, it's in the IMDb trivia. I don't know if it's true or not, but I kind of hope it is. I, I, I hope that I, it has to be. So one thing, I, I was watching some of the special features and some interviews, and, and 
this must have been a recent one because Tom Cruise, they end up talking about the fact that they're making the next Top Gun. And Tom Cruise's involvement in this movie rivals what we talked about a few weeks ago with Frank Sinatra in The Manchurian Candidate. Tom Cruise wanted to be involved in like every aspect of this movie. Do you mind if I get on my Tom Cruise soapbox? Let's do it. Let's do it. I I take a lot of shit from people, from, from former co-workers and, and from Liz especially, about my love of Tom Cruise films. Okay. Because he is a magnificent entertainer. Say what you will about his, his social and his personal life. Yeah, he's a fucking nut job. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he is the greatest entertainer of our time in film. I would say... I, he, I, I, want you to, I want you to go back on your soapbox, but I am helping you. I'm getting you higher on your soapbox. I'm, I want to support you. And what I want to say is there hasn't been a movie star like Tom Cruise since Tom Cruise. Yeah, no, he will... We will never. Once he's gone, we'll never have another Tom Cruise. It's 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 truly truly interesting his position in cinema. Yeah, and Sorry. and the, the the level of involvement that he has. I mean, he's so dedicated to not only his character but other characters in the movie and making sure that everybody's arc makes sense and the fact that he was involved at, at every level from the script to the marketing, insisting that he go up in those F 14s yep. I mean, the works. I mean, I've told this story before and i'll tell us when i love the mission impossible movies yeah we, yeah we talked when i, I recommended yeah, it you recommended yeah, it and, and we talked about i don't know if we talked about this or not but in four when he's outside the burj khalifa yes there's great documentary footage of him just out there he doesn't have to be out there you know because they're just setting up some rigs and camera and setting up angles and things like that but he's just out there playing he's having a whale of a time he's running across the thing and he's jumping off it just like he's not got care in the world he's 130 stories above the ground he doesn't have to be out there you know they could have faked that entire sequence but they didn't that's him out there in the fifth one that's him holding onto the side of a plane yes in yep. the in the new one yeah, that's him, him breaking doing his goddamn ankle yeah breaking his ankle and doing a halo jump that he had to do something like a hundred times. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, yeah. The man is, I don't know that there's anybody else out there more dedicated to their craft. And and it's unfortunate that he gets those what, labels, you know? Well, no, I, I, I that, yes, that, that is true too. Although it's funny. I think even with those labels, he's still Tom Cruise. I still think whether, whether people are, are outward about it or not, people love Tom Cruise and they love his movies. And, what I, what I was going to say is it's it's unfortunate that he chooses to not really do non-action movies anymore. Because, oh, because Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, my God. Well, if you, where's that guy? Where's Magnolia? Yeah. I mean, and he's – I mean, you, and that's – I think the shitty part is it's not that we, we wonder if it's there. We know that it is, and he's just not – he He's, was nominated for an Academy Award for Born on the Fourth of July. And like, Magnolia. It, it's it's in there. Yeah. He, he I mean, he's, yeah, he is a three-time Academy Award nominated actor. You got to throw Jerry Maguire in there too. Um, it, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, I still get childishly excited about new Tom Cruise movies. Like I know some of it, like Oblivion was garbage. I didn't see it, but I did, I, I'm I not, that I'm I not that to. hot on War of the Worlds. Oh, but I okay, I actually I love War of the Worlds. I'm um, just I'm I'm just throwing out examples. Sure, no, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. I, um, fucking Edge of Tomorrow. I love Edge of Tomorrow. I love it up until the end. Like I hate the last ten minutes of yeah, that movie. I'm okay with it, but you know because he's Tom Cruise and he can't die in anything other than Collateral. That's fair. Yeah, you know. What yeah. I mean? Oh, Collateral! Oh, Jesus Christ! How are we collateral, not collateral is uh, Collateral is a perfect film. It's great. There is nothing wrong with that film. It is flawless. End to end. 
Yeah, and that's he one of those, is so good in it. That's one of those plant payoffs where they mention the whole the, the story about the guy riding the subway, and then he's the guy, and then and, he is the oh, guy. So great, yeah. yeah. I do. I do love the idea. Sorry, can I go on a brief tangent? No, but we're gushing about Tom Cruise, so let's that, just keep on going. Apparently, it's let's go ballistic. He's on the subway, and heat opens with a subway pulling in, and that theoretically that could be even though even though time wise it doesn't make any sense, but that that's the train coming in is the one that Tom Cruise is on at the beginning of Heat. Oh. It's a theory that doesn't work. It, it can't work. Cause, because the, the, the subway, in L, that, that, that system in L.A. was pretty new in the time of Heat. And it clearly in collateral, it, it feels like it's 2004, like when they shot it. But if you like, it's like if you squint your eyes enough and just like don't, don't make it look like it's so 2004, it's like, okay, that could be it. This There's could be a connected to, crime world. Nothing to say. It's not the yeah, same yeah. train, right? Sorry. That, 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 I like that's, that. That's that's fun. Yeah. I like that. Um, Do you want to keep gushing about Tom Cruise or you want to move on? Well, let's... I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. No, no. Oh, no. It, was a, it was a great soapbox to be on because I fully I, I fully agree with he's, you. He's a great actor. Yes, he makes some poor choices here or there. Rock of Ages. The shit was that. Well, so... And actually, this is... So this actually is going to bring up something. I think this will help us get back to talk about Top Gun, but Tom Cruise as well. Tom, Tom Cruise wanted to make this movie because he wanted to be a pilot when he was a kid. And this was this was getting to, to mesh those two worlds together. Tom Cruise, I feel like, has had the kind of career where he can basically go, I want to drive race cars. I think I'll do Days of Thunder. Or, or and after after the first Mission Impossible, it's like, hmm, what kind of crazy shit do I want? Like, what can I do? And I, I think his career has been a series of, what haven't I done that I want to do? And when you have that kind of clout and power, you can, you can start to make decisions like that it makes me so excited for the next two mission impossibles because they're doing they're actually doing like a two-parter okay big big i was like how much bigger can you get like where i'm so excited by where can this thing go yeah and i'm surprised pushing it that's a franchise i can't believe is still going it should have been dead after two let's be honest i mean it should have just faded into obscurity but as bad as it is it's still I still find it entertaining. Yeah, I no, still don't still understand stuff. why I inter- am entertained by that movie. Ha. Ah. Yeah. Again, this is this is the conundrum. This is the this is the conundrum inside an enigma wrapped in a riddle that is Tom Cruise. <laughs> um here's a not hot take hot take. 80s fashion was just fucking terrible. Hey man, this film brought back the leather jackets, so I don't want to hear it. I got nothing against leather jackets. But holy goddamn, I I I think the '80s was just a. Here we I go. Was... This this is great that you bring up trends. I love this. So okay. earlier this morning, I got on the phone with a former coworker of mine, and I'll drop Josh Gibson. He's a very I consider him to be a very good friend. Um, he is one of the people that I, so he told me that he always wanted to go into the military, but this film definitely helped that. I mean, he loved this film as a kid. Maybe he was. He was probably right around the right age when it came out. And he, he, he tells me he remembers the Navy being there because they did. They set up booths outside of yes. screenings. Mm-hmm. And their their recruitment went up like 500%. Yeah, yeah. this was a... Or something insane. Yeah. But he talked to me about it. He, he wanted me to use the phrase specifically that this film is like the great Gatsby of the 80s in the sense that it is all about those kinds of... Setting those kinds of trends and the excess. You know, if... What did he say? He said that if... You know, if if you don't care about the '80s, then then this movie isn't a must see. But if you're you're interested in what the what a time capsule this kind of is, then it's Wall Street and it's Top Gun. 
two of the most important films of the 80s because of what they did. Well, and for wickedly different reasons. For, yes, for completely different yeah. reasons, but they're examinations of where we were in the 80s and what, what the feeling was in Western culture and the excesses and, and, and the feeling of... He went on... I, I can't even begin to paraphrase everything that he was talking about because we were talking... We went deep down the rabbit hole talking sure. about where we were, the, the country, the, the, the sort of feeling of patriotism that Reagan had re-inspired in people. I mean, it's all, it's, it's got a lot to do with that. Like where we were that, that Reagan gave people, and I personally, I don't think he was a great president, but he, he gave this country the feeling of, of coming out of the, the dredge that was the seventies. Yeah, prosperity. And fi- prosperity. Yeah. And finding ourselves again and finding your mm-hmm. patriotism and, and loving your country. And, you know, we're sticking it to the commies. Tear down this wall. Exactly. Yeah. And Top Gun. That was the worst, Reagan. I'm so sorry. I got yeah. the, qu- oh, fuck. Oof. That's yeah. bad. <laughs> but that's, that's what this film comes down to is, is that, that feeling of patriotism. And yeah, you could call it a pro-war film. I, I don't know, but. And that, that's that's oh sorry I don't want to interrupt no 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 go on that's just that's a, that's a really that I, I I there were a lot of actors apparently that wanted to be in this movie or wanted to be involved with it but weren't because they thought it was pro war yeah I think Matthew Modine was the first choice yes and he turned it down flat it's tough because to be to be pro war versus being pro military right and and that's tough because I I don't think this movie is pro war I think it's pro military. Sure. And then for people, it, it's it's tough because I, you know, I have a couple of friends who are vets. I have some relatives that are vets. And I am, I am of course, thankful for what they've done for my country because I can't do it. Not that I physically can't. I, I mentally couldn't do it. And to anybody who has presently or has ever served, it's like there's a huge, huge line of gratitude out there for you because I, I, they're, they're, most of the country can't and won't do it. So, so there's, a, there's a thank you there. But then, and that's the thing is like when people get protesty about wars and like the soldiers take the brunt of it, it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's misplaced anger. You, you can't do that. Oh, no, if you're the, way, against... the way the guys were treated coming back from Vietnam is a fucking disgrace. Well, and, well, and I think, and our, I think our generation with Iraq, like, I think there was a lot of people coming back from that, especially but a lot of Bush haters taking it out on people who were over there. And a lot of those people, who signed up and went, they went because of misplaced information, right? They, oh, but weapons of mass destruction were over there because there's a, there's a purpose to it. And then when we all found out, well, there really wasn't a huge purpose to it, it taking it out on, on the guys that went over there. They were still doing the thing that we can't do. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. So, and I, I, and I, I'm glad you brought the, up this whole, the, the, because it was pro-war. I, I think it's pro, I think it's absolutely pro-military. Yeah. There's no you can't hide that. This movie had the help of the navy. But to say that it's pro war I think is uh I think that's far fetched. Yes. In my in yeah. my not so humble opinion. Well just to just to finish this and I'll I'll give Josh his final shout out and then we'll move on, but I I know that he would want me to he would want me to sit here and he would want me to list all the technical fail, failures and faults in this film. I'm not going to do that. But I mean, we, he, the way that he was going on, I mean, he could write a dissertation on this thing, but he did just want me to hammer home to our listeners as being somebody who was influenced by this film. He doesn't like it so much anymore. I think he showed it to his wife recently and went, oh, this is embarrassing how much I used to like this film, that, that kind of sentiment. Um, And it's, well, he didn't show it to her recently. No, I remember the story. The story is falling into place now. They, it's funny. They watched this movie the day before Tony took his own life. Oh, 
And so it, it kind of, even though they were like, oh, this is embarrassingly bad, and it's cheesy, it hasn't aged well, there was that kind of feeling, oh, you know, there was there was a, there, there was a, a cathartic sort of sad feeling afterwards. Anyway, but this this film is such a time capsule, and it came out at the exact right time. Yeah, oh, I, I, yes. As, as far as where this country was. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So yeah, thank you to Josh for all of that information. <laughs> There's your little shout out, bud. There you go. And I'm um, not going to pay you that $100 for using the, the Great Gatsby line. You can you can sling your hook on that one. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You can give us $100 and we'll put it back into the podcast. Yeah, that'd be great because I really need a I really need a, a, a swing, an arm for this yes, thing. Yes, to hold up your mic. Yeah, because um, it's sitting on a couple of boxes right now. It's <laughs> fucking embarrassing. <laughs> I guess I want to. I guess I want to just hammer home e- Ebert's point about the ground scenes versus the the aerial scenes, because the the everything that takes place up in the sky is great. I it, it's still some of the best looking aerial. Footage oh yes, ever. yeah. And it, this comes to my unsung hero, the cinematographer of this film, who created a visual style. I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer called it out in in an interview I saw with him. Like Tony, Tony and Jeffrey and Jeffrey Kimball. Yes, that sounds right. Jeffrey Kimball, they. They spearheaded a look that was 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 going to be endlessly imitated. I mean, they were creating their own craft and style with this film. Yeah, I mean, it is very much a Tony Scott film. It's yes. got that Tony Scott rock and roll flavor. And and that's that's one thing I was going to say. And and I'm surprised because Tony Scott is not um well he's not Ridley Scott of course, but he's not he's not a prestige director. And by his own admission, he's not a prestige director. And yet. I feel like he's he's one of very few non-prestige directors where you can go, oh, that's a fucking Tony Scott film. Like, like that's that's a that's a so-and-so person's film. You know, one of the best compliments that I could have ever play, paid to him was um, just how how much his influence has has seeped into to other things. I mean, Tony and Ridley came out of making commercials, and in today's commercials, you can still see so much of their influence. But even in something like video games, mm-hmm. uh, Max Payne Three. I know, I know, I know what it is. You know, but. you know of Max Payne, but when Max Payne three came out, I'm playing this thing. It felt like playing Man on Fire. It felt like you were playing a video game version of that. And I was like, what a great compliment to see that your your style and your your filmmaking, your technique has now seeped into so many other you know facets of entertainment. And did you? And while I'm thinking about uh, about Tony specifically, did you do you know why he got the job? No, there's a he did a Saab commercial a couple of years the car yeah, yeah. for the, Saab, the he did a commercial where a Saab races a jet uh, yeah because originally this thing was turned down by not just actors and and songwriters that didn't want anything to do with its quote unquote pro war yeah. pro military stance but I, the list of directors that turned this thing down was crazy well, it seemed like what... David Cronenberg was approached to direct this thing oh no like what no no no. It seemed like they were just throwing the dart at the just yeah. whatever will stick. I, I do love. It seemed like it was mostly the the cover of the magazine seemed to be the biggest genesis of this. Was oh that looks cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which, I think that's that's. Uh, I think they discussed that in the making of that. Literally, like Bruckheimer threw it down on Don Simpson's desk and be like, "This is our next movie." It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so stupid. But they they greenlit it instantly. Apparently. I know. I know. They're like they just said, "Oh, how much do you need to make this movie?" They said fourteen million dollars, and they're like, "Go, just oh, go do my it." God. Huh, okay. That's, so this is what I'm talking about. The excess of the '80s. This film is a perfect time capsule. I want to I want to play a game with you. Um, what is your uh? Favorite isn't probably the right word, but your what's your most obvious um, Maverick being a cock cock knocker in this movie? 
Like, what's your biggest? Oh, dude, you're you're a cock knocker. I I think I think for me it's the moment where Goose Goose tells him, "Hey, man, I you you might not be you've got that that chip on your shoulder about your old man, but this is like this this is his like this is his profession." I mean, when he's like when he's fucking things up for Goose with you know the whole buzzing the tower thing. Yeah, that that for me is like, yeah, dude, come on, calm it down. You've got you've got your partner here. You're this isn't just for you. You know, as much as you may want to be on the top of this board, you're not the only one on this ride, essentially. You know, you've got somebody else to concern yourself with, somebody who has a family. He's got a wife and a very young child. Yep. I think a lot of mine has to do with Kelly McGillis in general. Um, oh, following her into the bathroom? Well, so oh, here's, well, here's the funny thing. I don't want to derail you, but just to, to further this and the Kelly McGillis thing, during the scene... So I know Liz had seen this movie, but again, like me, she hadn't seen it in a long... I hadn't seen this movie in, I'm going to conservatively say, about 17 years. And how many times have you seen it? This is my third time Okay, this it. was my second. And my first time was about a year ago, so still fairly fresh. Yeah, I, I saw it young and didn't think much of it, and then I saw it again as a teenager didn't think much of it. Um, but I did find things to appreciate in this. Anyway, the Kelly McGillis thing, Liz was watching it with me, and she was getting like uncomfortable during the, you've lost that loving feeling scene. Like, yes! She's like, wow, that is intimidating. Like I, she's like, I'm not getting rapey vibes. Oh, and then he follows her into the bathroom. So yeah, now I'm totally getting the rapey vibes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but so, so, but what's gonna lead lead to my cock knocking moment is possibly the most uh, irrelevant moment of the movie, and maybe the most homoerotic moment in any movie ever is the volleyball. Oh, scene. it's the volleyball scene and playing with the boys. Yeah. Um. We gotta have something for the ladies, man. I we, which, gotta, we gotta have Tom and, and Rick Rossovich. And from a producing standpoint, totally understand that. Let's get four dudes in shape. But also, why why doesn't Anthony Edwards have his shirt off? The other three dudes do. Come on, man, take your shirt off. I I don't know, man. He didn't get in. He didn't get in shape in shape in time. Obviously, he's I guess. Not I guess intimidated by how cut Rick Rossovich is. He's pretty cut. Because I mean, got to take him to the vet because those puppies be sick. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I did. I just, I just. Ian just watched a little bit of respect for him leave my body. I, I did. <laughs> and you know, I'm not. A sh- I'm not. Hey, I'm not proud. Did you write Neither- that down? No. That was like in. Oh, oh my god. I can do this acting thing, man. I can. Oh. Uh, you know, Woo. I can. Uh, I can jabber. improvise. Right. Go no, tit I, for tat. I can't. I can't do that. Um, but look, I'm not proud. Neither am I ashamed. Okay, that's good. Um. So. That moment, it just, it doesn't further anything. Not, not, okay, it, does, it doesn't further the nothing that's happening in this movie anyway, but... It just pads the conversation later. He has an excuse about why he's late. Well, yes, yeah. but, and that's, so, when he gets to her place, in which he is late, and says, I'm gonna, doesn't ask, he says, I'm gonna take a shower. Are you fucking serious? You're just gonna take a shower at some... This You're tricky- just gonna... I, I it was so funny. So many things in this movie made me irritated. But when that happened, Melissa and I were both like looked looked at each other. Was like, did he just say that he was going to do it? Not ask. No, no, no. Don't ask if you can take a shower. Wait, hang on. No, he does say, "Do you mind?" And she said, "Yeah, I mind." Oh, I'd does like, he? Yeah. Does he ask? Well, it's I not didn't... really asking. It's more when you when you say oh, to you... somebody, "Do you mind?" It means it pretty much means you're going to do I'm, it. I'm anyway. in the process of doing it, so yeah. just say yeah, so I yeah. don't feel bad about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But no, she sta- I love that she stands her ground and she says no. I do mind. Um, 
and 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 other questionable moves. Now, this might be a good. I hope this might this might be a good conversation, or it might just be really short because we agree. So, um, the exercise in which Maverick and Goose get caught in the jet wash and spin out of control. They have the whole issue with the ejector seat, and we and and then Goose dies, which is which is which is sad. And and Meg Ryan having to deal with it and everything. That's that's I, and I, not I, enough I, time is spent on her grief. Agree. Say that agreed, right now. Agreed. But 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 surprisingly, an emotional moment in this movie. So now, Maverick is cleared that it wasn't his fault in the movie. It, it, he has that little obsession wherever, and you can continue immediately with your training. And apparently there's been like things out there about the fact that no, actually it was his fault. Like, like, like in the real world of things that would be his fault. This is one of those many technical things. Okay, here you go, and, Josh. Now you get another. And shout I don't. Out. And I don't want to. I don't want to do. I. I don't want to go down that road of all of them. But this one's. It's, it's actually kind of plot pivotal. I get that. If if Iceman didn't have the shot, that he should. Yes, get the fuck out of the way. Um, it's it, it's one of the few moments we actually see Iceman get a little too arrogant and and not do what he could he could have done. But then Tom Cruise reminds me of one of those assholes on the freeway that is it could could easily get in the other lane and just not be on your ass, but instead is going to stay behind you. And it's one of those things where I don't think. I think Tom Cruise is upset that it happened, but I don't think I think we're supposed to I think we are supposed to believe that Maverick feels guilty that it, that that he feels personal responsibility of it. I don't think that comes across. I think he's just I'm sad. Well, it's he's supposed to be responsible because I one of again one of the things that I was told in our technical discussion is that that's that's not how you fly. You don't fly in a formation like that. It's called a wingman for a reason. You're on his wing. You're not directly behind him like yeah. that. So that things like a jet wash don't happen. Yes. But the other thing that that he mentioned was um, Tom is your wingman, and Val Kilmer is is your wing leader, and your wingman never gives orders to the wing leader, like like Tom Cruise does. So furthering his his arrogance. Sure. There. But and I and it's one of those things where. Val Kilmer kept saying that you know give me give, give me more time give me more time. And while I, while I feel like maybe 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 Val Kilmer should have realized sooner that he didn't have the shot, but to be it sounded like I mean in 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 film time, which of course doesn't it's 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 slightly altered reality of how time actually works. It seems like he asked for like he asked for twenty seconds, which and and I, in a real world scenario that could be the difference between life and death. I I get that, but in this in this exercise, I feel like. It's part of Tom Tom Cruise's arrogance to not really give him that time to not back off to not because you gotta feel like with in the, in this scenario the worst that happens is Iceman does what he eventually does is break off formation and then Tom Cruise is there to take the shot it's it's two very arrogant people not listening to each other um but ultimately it's funny I feel like maybe we're meant to believe that it is. Maybe it is Val Kilmer's fault because because Tom Cruise is our protagonist. I, I don't think enough um, guilt gets placed his way, both from people in the movie, but also from himself. I I just feel like it gets. I'm just sad that my friend died, and of course he is. But there needs to be more personal anguish. I I feel yeah, like yeah. No, lose the volleyball scene so that we can have actual human emotions permeate through this film a little bit. Yeah. Though I will say, of all this, all the ground scenes, I do really love. 
their conversation where he's talking about his dad and they're talking about his mom and Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. That song is playing. I like, and I, I love that song. I have always loved that song. And I was trying to place where I heard it for the first time. I was like, oh, I heard it in Top Gun. Because I, I genuinely believe that Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is one of the ten greatest songs ever written. Huh? And so I think I like that scene maybe because it's in it. But I, I also do like the, the little glimpse that we get into Maverick and talking about his dad and feeling that he has that chip on his shoulder and, you know, nobody knowing really what happened to his dad. Which... I gotta say, as like MacGuffins go. Oh yeah, it's so it, it's so. Oh man, I mean, I, well, the, the reason it's the in whole there. movie is unnecessary, but it's like that. That's like a scene we. Uh, is it what is is it is it to make Viper seem a little more personable? Yes, that's it, that's the whole reason it's, it's in there. So Viper, once he gets torn down by Goose's death, Viper gets to build him back up, with because he happened to fly with his dad which is an easy coincidence yeah yeah and the whole line about no your dad did it right there's a lot of lazy writing in this yes a lot of lazy writing yeah yeah but that doesn't negate the fact that oh man that aerial stuff yeah it's still good it is and this is i'm i will say that i am a little excited for the sequel because they've pushed it a year it's supposed to come out this summer and they said no 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 you have all the time you need to get this right, because if you're gonna, and Tom Cruise himself brought it up, yeah. Like, if, if I do this thing, yeah, it's got to be huge and it's got to be perfect. Well, and sorry, and people, it's the thing that people have been asking him over and over for the last thirty years. When when are we gonna get another one? I think the plot to me sounds a little thing because I think it's Goose's Miles Teller is playing Goose's son. I haven't, I haven't researched this enough. Um, my excitement level just went down. I quite yeah, a bit. I know. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a gorgeous looking film. I will say that it does feel a little wrong without Tony. It it, it does feel a little wrong. You know, it's 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 McQuarrie, right? Uh, no, I don't think it's the guy who directed Oblivion. Is oh. directing it. Oh God, why did I think yeah. it was? Oh, I just thought they're so buddy buddy now. Those yeah, two. I, I know. It was, well, oh. well, he's. I think he's off prepping Mission Impossible seven and eight. Gotcha. Ah, oh, I I didn't like hearing that. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, I know. And no, no, Kelly McGillis, the female love. It's Jennifer Connelly, yeah, right? it's Connelly. Yeah. yeah. Which okay, can I? I'm gonna make one statement, and I, I, I'm not proud to make this statement, but I, is Kelly McGillis attractive? Are we are we meant to believe that that she is? And and I'm not. I'm first of all, I'm not saying she's ugly. I'm and I'm not making like some blanket statement like, oh, she's not, you know, fucking really hot, so she can't be in the movie, but. I don't. I don't read her that way, and maybe it's because like I really only know her from The Accused, and it's such a serious movie. But I just didn't. I didn't really buy her in that movie, in that role. No, I think she's she's far better in the one she did before, and the one that got her this role was Witness. And I think she's. She, I think she's gorgeous. In yeah, Witness. you know, you already know. I haven't. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah, you're mad. Yeah, but that, well, no, yeah, I'm not mad at you about that. Why would I? No, well, but you should see Witness. Know, it's got I, one of the greatest scenes. I think in film history. I know. I, yes, we discussed. Yes yes, 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 we have. And that's and, and maybe I shouldn't have even brought it up, but but I, I feel like she's not that traditional '80s um, leading lady that could have. You know, she's not Michelle Pfeiffer. She's not um, uh, Daryl Hannah. Yes, yeah. Okay. She doesn't. She's not. Doesn't fit the mold. And that's not a bad thing. That I, I, I'm not making any judgment on her. Really, it just it seems like she, again, this movie seems to prop up a lot of things that it doesn't really support. Like, you know, like, you know, Tom Cruise feeling the death of his friend. I don't really, I don't really buy it. No. And Kelly McGillis being the, 
the the leading attractive um the the love interest in the movie. I I don't well yeah because they just fall into bed so easily. And the, she has a couple of moments where she resists him. Yeah. But it's inevitable. It's going to happen. She's going to she's going to break down and give in to him, which I think weakens her character. Yeah. But I mean I still think that she does a wonderful job in it. I think Kelly McGillis is one of the better performances in it. And it's weird too. It's it's funny cuz and nobody I I wouldn't say anybody's bad in the movie. I mean, everybody's playing the parts that they're that, that was written for them, and being forced to say some of that atrocious dialogue, and yet somehow some of the most Slider, iconic. You stink. Although, what are the, so okay, what I read again. This is this is like bullshit trivia, but I read that the um, the bullshit that Val Kilmer does and that was it was ad libbed. Yeah, which I, I actually believe. I total I I can see that happening. Is that possibly the earliest instance of that? Uh, of what? Bullshit. Coughing over the insult or the 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 line. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it. In in, f- I mean, I'm sure it had to have happened before then, but it's certainly one of the more iconic uses of it. it. Just and, well, and and you know, I I feel like that's a very it seems like a very modern thing to do. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me if maybe that was one of the like really the genesis of that that little bit. But I mean, it set so many other trends. Why not? That's fair. While we're talking about little. Bits of trivia. Are there any like behind the scenes stories? Because this movie is full of them. I, I there is one that I love with Tony Scott getting them to turn the aircraft around, the aircraft carrier. Around oh because, yeah, because he needed his backlighting. That's right. And he gave them like a twenty five thousand dollar check that bounced. I again, I don't know if that story is true, but I hope to God it is. And the fact that he was, I mean, he's so buddy buddy with these guys. Yeah. That he he got them to turn the aircraft carrier around. And get the shot that he needed. I think that speaks to his his power as a director. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I also love the one Tom Cruise tells about putting the bike down. Did you see that story? In the, he, in the so he's he he does essentially what he does to Kelly McGillis, where he's like revving the bike. He's like, ah, I can't hear you, and then he drives off. I guess he was he was like twenty one when he made this movie, so yeah. full of vim and vigor and arrogance. I guess he did that to a bunch of the crew once, and then took off, and he goes off down the road. And like, and it like kind of spun out. Yeah, no, he hits the gravel and it like he puts the bike down, but he manages to like come back up and he's sliding on his feet across the gravel and he's like stopping and making sure that like nobody saw him. And then there's like a prop guy over yeah. there, yeah, that like sees him do it. But it's like seriously, like you, you could have like blown your insurance on this movie or something like that if anybody like saw you do that. Yeah, I don't know. This movie just is full of those little, and of course it's so beloved that. It, all these stories yeah know, people i feel like when a movie is is beloved like this you're gonna get all people want to know as much as they can about yeah. the making of it uh, i feel agree. a closer connection to it yeah i i didn't have anything that really that grabbed me i mean i i thought i read that val kilmer and tom cruise had some some tension on set but yeah, then, they did they didn't like each other well and kilmer didn't even want to be it, it yeah, was, he a was contra- contractually it was obligated. A contra- which come on look at what he'd done before he'd only done two major motion pictures before Top secret and real genius. I I don't know. I Val Kilmer has one of the strangest careers in Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. It, it is bizarre. Yeah. Um, but you know, but then Tom Cruise spoke so fondly of the whole experience, and he even spoke fondly of Val Kilmer. So I don't. If it, maybe it was just on on set tension that qu- quickly died down after the movie. I don't I don't know. But I am excited to see Kilmer back in the sequel. Yeah. I I, I mean I I I like when he pops up and he's committed to something. 
but then like you know he he like he did like when he did kiss kiss bang bang it was so not him I was I was it I was thrilled I thought he was great in it and that still has then he that, does that's shit my like favorite the snowman and that's that's my favorite Val Kilmer performance is kiss kiss bang bang I I would I would have to agree with that yeah. I mean his Jim Morrison is good his Jim Morrison is really good but that he's got that that Shane Black script like he took to Shane Black script so well like it feels so naturalistic it's got one of my favorite lines of all time in it with the uh, where they're they're at the lake and Downey Jr. wants to get rid of the gun as quickly as possible and he's like what happened what do you think is going to happen when they drag the lake you know what you should do look at the word idiot in the dictionary you always see a picture, picture of me no. the definition the of the word, word idiot. idiot which you fucking are yeah that yeah that's great Oh yeah, I wasn't such a big fan. I didn't really like the nice guy so much. I thought it was okay. Oh, that was okay. Oh, I loved it. That was, that's that's my kind of movie. What? So yeah, we've gone over some uh, some behind the scenes stuff. We've gone over about where it falls in you know the zeitgeist of American motion picture history. And we've talked about some cheesy things. I mean, is there any last minute like favorite shots or unsung heroes? I mean, I mentioned mine. Meg Ryan is Meg, mine. That's right. You mentioned yeah. Meg Ryan. She's oh, she's so wonderful in this. I think that my, I don't, I mean, all the aerial shots are really good, I, just in the technique of it. And I think as, as scenes go, I, I think my favorite scene is probably just Meg Ryan and Tom Cruise sitting in that, in that room afterwards. It, it's the most poignant moment in the movie. Um, it's the most genuine moment in the movie. So I think and that, that that's the actor in me trying to help with enjoying something that isn't just in the air. So that's probably my favorite part. I think uh, there's a there's a little throwaway moment I love. I don't have a definitive favorite shot. I mean, I, I love all the lighting in this. I mean, the way that, you know, when the jets are taking off, they're bathed in that orange light. I think that's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Uh, but there's a throwaway moment at the beginning during the, the aircraft carrier scene where they're showing you what goes into these things landing and taking off. But there's a moment where one of the techs, like, it takes off, and he does, like, a little fist bump in the air. Kind uh-huh. of thing. I, just, I don't know. I love that. I love those little that little human touch. Yeah, he's so happy to be there and doing his job. And when things go right, he's just pumped about it. So I got a, I got a tough question for you. Potentially a tough question for you, Ian. Should this movie be in the book? Would you like the backhanded answer? I I, I would like whatever your honest answer is. Okay. I think this movie should be in the book because of where. Like I said, it fits in in the zeitgeist and its popularity and and just the the sort of good feelings that so many people have about it, and its its place in history I think is more important maybe than even the film itself. Now, if I were to pull it out and put something else in, I, I'm sorry, Tony, but I would put another Ridley film in. I'd put Black Hawk Down in. Okay, because that film, that film is it walks a very fine. Again, it's another Bruckheimer film, and it almost it's so funny to me. Two thousand one was an, was an odd year for the brother Scott. It's almost like they traded scripts. So in two thousand one, Ridley Scott did Black Hawk Down, and in two thousand one, Tony Scott did Spy Game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Spy Game to me, that's a Ridley movie, and Black Hawk Down is very much a Tony movie. I. I I know it's not true, but that that would be funny to me if they all if the one day they went, hey, what are you making? Oh, I'm making. Oh, you want to trade? Let's just see if. Let's see if I can do one of your movies, and let's see if I can do one of yours. Again, I, let's pretend that that's true. Because I, I, I would, I would love for that to be. true. Yeah, that's funny. You know what I mean? But Black Hawk Down walks this really fine line, and we talked about early in the episode. We talked about the difference between pro-war 
and pro-military. Yeah. Black Hawk Down, I find, is pro-military, but it's also very anti-war. Yeah. It, it's it's a funny little line that that movie walks. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I agree. And what a what a visual and audio just assault on the scene. I remember seeing that film in the theater and being sat and like being sat back and just yeah. being blown away by it. Anytime when I worked at the video store, yeah. and somebody came into me and they're like, "Hey, I got a new sound system. What what would you recommend to to?" to I was like, "Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down will kick the ass out of any system." Oh, yeah, that ever. went it went to Academy Awards that year, uh, editing and and sound mixing. There you go. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna agree with you. Um, and give my own kind of separate. I mean, I yes, it, it is hard. Is this your is, answer kind of backhanded too? Yes, it is an iconic movie. But if I were to replace it, I'm gonna go a different route because. I, and Black Hawk Down is such a great replacement that mine's gonna sound kind of ridiculous. But I like that yours is in the air still. It, it sort of and and mine is too. Um, but I don't think that there are enough. Um, fun movies that everybody knows are bad and ridiculous and over the top because, and I'm sorry if you don't like this, but Top Gun is bad and over the top and ridiculous. Oh, and it's, yet, it's terribly cheesy. And yet people like it. But It's a pungent piece of 80s cheese. The problem is that it's, the, the people doing it knew that it was serious. They It was treated as a serious film. My replacement, and, and I, you're probably going to love and hate it, is Con Air. I would replace, I would easily replace Top Gun with Con Air. Embrace the cheese. Embrace the over-the-topness. I just, I can't even with this shit, man. <laughs> Why? Couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? No? Oh my god, that film. It has been even longer since I've seen talk, the Con Air than it's been since oh, I've seen Top Gun. let's get hammered and watch Con Air. Yes. Oh my god, I fucking love Con Air. It John is... Cusack's in that cast on that thing. Oh, like, it's the stories about the making of that thing are better than I think the movie itself. Like, oh, dude, it... can you imagine? Like, you could probably like, well, yeah, I guess you There's could this... smell it. But the testosterone in the air on that thing. There was this interview that Danny Trejo gave, and they were asking him, so like, who was the like, you know, you know, on that set with Nicolas Cage and John Malkovich and Ving Rhames, like, who was the, who was the actor you, like you were the most afraid of on set? And he goes, John Cusack. And they're like, oh, I, I love and, that. and they said, "Why?" He goes, "He didn't. He 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 was pretty stone faced. Like everybody else was pretty had, was a character, but he's like Offset. Oh no, John Cusack is making a totally different movie than anybody else. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so those those are our weird kind of backhanded um, replacements, if you will. But I think we're both, in a way, like I, iconically, culturally obligated to to say that this movie should be in the book. Uh, not for the quality of its story, but for the quality of its um, <laughs> of its of its aerial shots. To be real, let's just yeah. let's just be real. Yeah. So and I, that's what I'm excited for when it comes to the sequel. You know, they're gonna have to go bigger and better. This thing is gonna it's gonna kick the tires and light the fires. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So um, so uh, way back when when we talked about Brazil. Ian did this this thing where he ranked all of um, Terry Gilliam's movies because I'd seen all of Terry Gilliam's films and, and I chimed in, in occasionally because I I'd seen a few of them. So Ian has seen all sixteen, all sixteen of Tony's features, and uh, I have not. I've seen. Uh, I thought it was more, uh, but I've only seen six. Wow. So Ian is gonna. And I, I've not ranked mine, although I do. I do know what my favorite one is. 
Um, but Ian, you have ranked them. Is that what you've done? I, I have ranked them. Okay. So Ian's going to go through from 16 to one. Um, but so Ian will go through. He's also going to guess which six I have seen because he doesn't know that. So Ian. All right. How many, how many chances do I get? I, well, I guess I get six. Just, yeah. 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 Just, it's not a big deal. Here we go. Tony okay. Scott. All right. Before I start, special shout out for, have you seen any of the BMW short films, the, the, the hire with, uh, with. Uh, Clive Owen is the driver. No, I, I saw the one that was like readily on TV, but no, I, I no. Okay, it may was it the Tony Scott one because I know that was <sighs> the most revered one. He did one of those. It's called Beat the Devil. Okay, I don't know. And it's got James Brown, and uh, and Gary Oldman in it. I, I don't. It's not ringing uh, it's a bell. It's so good. If you get a chance, if you can find Beat the Devil, it's it's one of the the coolest short films ever made. As I go through and listen to the podcast and edit it, I'll write this down and I'll I'll probably post it on Facebook yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Ranking Tony Scott. This is a this is a Tony Scott tribute. Okay. List because I I did feel it when he went. You know, people. There's this. We don't know these people. We don't have an emotional connection to them other than through their work. Yeah. But it, it was I I felt sad for Ridley because I followed these guys' careers my entire film yeah. watching life. I mean, it it was a blow. So you know, a Tony Scott tribute list. There we go. Number sixteen. The Pelham One Two Three remake. Um, Do you think I've seen it? No, I have not. Uh, the most pointless remake ever. There you go. I love the original. The original is one of the greatest films in the 1970s. I have not seen it, but I've heard that Robert Shaw. If Robert Shaw hadn't made Jaws directly the year after, that would be his best performance. And there you go. And Walter Matthau is just is Walter Matthau. He was a grumpy old man even before he was an old man. And it's, and it's Fair. brilliant. Fair. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of the most pointless remakes ever made. That's why it's at the bottom of the list. John Travolta's garbage in it. Yeah. It's just another excuse to work with Denzel, I think, because those guys were... He made five films with Denzel, I think. I mean, those guys were, were pretty Travolta? close. Uh, Denzel. Oh, you mean Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. I thought... I got you, got you, got you. Uh, anyway, so I'll be honest. The next three are all kind of interchangeable. Only seen them once. And okay. They didn't. They're they're more. They're his very. They're very all very average movies. Okay. Uh, we got Deja Vu at number fifteen. Another Denzel um, collaboration. I'm gonna guess you haven't seen that. I have. Oh, you saw Deja Vu. I watched it yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, I, I it shouldn't it's, work. It's not very memorable. But it does. It but it works oh, somehow. You liked it? I no, I don't love it. But I mean, yeah. it, it works. I can't believe I buy the time traveling science aspect of it. But I'm not because Denzel because Denzel makes it believable. I'm I'm on the journey. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also it's got the distinction I think of being the first film to be shot in New Orleans after Katrina. Katrina. So I I do have res- even though it's so far down the list, I yeah. do respect it slightly. Yeah. It just for me, I Caviezel is awful in it. I don't get. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. It's weird. He's just not a very good actor. That's fair. Val Kilmer. That's right. He's back in it. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Uh, Days of Thunder is at number fourteen, and you you must have seen Days of Thunder. No. How have you not seen Days of Thunder? I know. Thunder? With with the, my family enjoying NASCAR. Yeah, I know. I, it's, it, it's never appealed to me. It's it's not good. Okay. And I think I think Cruz even is credited as working on the script on that one. Oh, probably. It's got the distinction of being the one where he met Nicole. So yes, take that with what you will. There you go. Not very memorable. Number 13 is the last boy scout. You must've seen last boy scout. I have not seen last boy scout. Wow. Okay. It's a Shane black script. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Again, it's just Bruce being Bruce. He's got a headache and he's pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) One of the Wayans brothers is in it. I think Damon. It's Damon. Yeah. Yeah, It's again, not very memorable. (laughs) Okay. Now here's a controversial one. 
when I first made this list a week ago, Domino was so much further up it. I remember really liking Domino. So we're at number 12, okay. Domino. I remember really liking it when I was when I was when I saw it in theaters. And then I just recently I actually I bought a couple of Tony Scott movies because I noticed there were a few missing from yeah. my collection. So Domino is one of the ones that I bought and Liz and I put it on. And I'm like this movie's giving me a headache. Like it's that whole acid washed feel. Yeah, I remember that of, from the trailer of, of Man on Fire, but just turned up past a level. That that and it like was supposed he to broke be, the knob off. And Kara Knightley doing something totally different, which she's good in it. No, no, and like I just the cast the, is great. The two things I took from the trailer was okay, she's doing something different, and what is going on with the color in this movie? Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, like Tom Waits has a really crazy cameo, and it's just it's nuts, and it's uh, it's not very good. Okay. It, right. it was, like, way up at, like, number six. Uh, anyway, so you have not seen Domino. No. Uh, number 11, we have The Fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. A pretty average thriller. I don't think you've seen it. I have not. Yeah. I mean, it's it's De Niro before he stopped giving a shit, and he, he's good in it. He's the reason to watch it. Okay. But, I mean, Wesley Snipes just can't keep up with him. Well, that's, that's fair. All right. Number 10, we have Top Gun. Well, of course, you know I've seen. Yeah, and of course, and of course, Top Gun was again a little further up the list when I first made it, and it, it slipped. Okay, it slipped so I could make room for uh, his debut, which I'll get to in a second. Anyway, okay. Number nine, we have Enemy of the State. Now that that one may go further up. I haven't seen Enemy of the State in like ten years. Okay, I I mean I remember liking it, but I also remember kind of how ridiculous it is for the same reasons that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Yes. But the cast on that thing, the cast just will not quit. And, on and, that thing. and Enemy of the State is one of those. I think there's a sense of it's not as it, um, it doesn't feel as serious as as like Top Gun does. And I think you get that with people like Jack Black and Jamie Kennedy and Seth Green in the movie. It, it adds a level of this is kind of cheesy at times. Yeah, it's, they, they know it. They embrace it. It's kind um, of tongue in cheek. This a, is my I will say this is my co-favorite Tony Scott movie. All right. Okay. Um, the other thing that I appreciate about Enemy of the State, I saw the conversation, Francis yes. Ford Coppola's film. Yeah, right around the same time I saw Enemy of the State, and I was like, oh my god, these could almost be sequels to each. This could be the the Harry Call. It's like the spiritual sequel. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. I kind of I know other people have drawn that comparison, but I I like connecting those dots. And oh saying, yeah, this is That's this fun. is Hackman years later. Yeah, because it is that similar role and in, into surveillance and all that shit. Anyway, at number eight we have his debut. The Hunger. Which I know nothing about. It's a vampire. It's a lesbian vampire movie. Oh, there you go. You, if you want to see Susan Sarandon uh, macking on Catherine Duneveau, here you go. I'm down. This is your chance. Okay. And David Bowie is in it. Oh, well, there you go. And uh, Bowie was a fabulous actor. I've never actually... I, I've never seen him in I've never seen any of the... Well, you see, you saw The Prestige. Oh, that's true. And he plays Tesla I'm a that. liar. Yeah, yeah, I have. But you should also see The Man Who Fell to Earth, because that is... I heard that. I've heard that's, good. that's in the book, right? I believe it was. I want to say his, pic, I reckon his picture is. Yes, I, okay. it is, and it's either it has come to Criterion or it is coming to Criterion. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, the hunger I think is a better than like the Duelist. I think it's a better than average. Yeah. Uh, debut that has kind of fallen into obscurity. I mean, it's you know, it's not. It's got its moments that are not great. It's got its moments that are very very 80s. Uh, Willem Dafoe has a very, very yes, tiny that's bit part right. as like a thug on, giving Susan Sarandon a hard time. On his G, his GQ interview, he yeah, talks yeah, about the yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, it also has, as Susan Sarandon told a great little story about her son seeing it 
when he was in high school. Like some friends of his said, Hey, did you see that movie, that lesbian movie your mom was in? <laughs> so she, I saw an interview where she recounts and having to have to have that conversation with her son. That's very funny. <laughs> At number seven, we have his final film, Unstoppable. Again, another Denzel collaboration. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't see it? No. It's, uh, it's not a great one to go out on, but it's still, it's still a lot of fun. I mean, there's a, there's a huge leaps in logic. I don't know if you know anything about the plot, but it's, um, a runaway train full of hazardous material, you know, that's making it's, you know, somebody somewhere along the line messed up and now they can't stop it. And it's up to Denzel, who I think is like, it's one of those typical, oh, this is like my last ride, you know, yeah. he's facing retirement. And then Chris Pine is the guy taking over. They're great together. Okay. Good. I mean, I think Denzel, I think Denzel is always on. But I, I think him and Tony worked really well together. That's why they kept coming it, back to each other. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a great performance out of Denzel. He said some some real big leaps in logic and probably not the film he wanted to go out on, but you could do worse. You could be Connery and go out on Leave Extraordinary Gentleman. Fair, fair. Uh, number six, I love these movies so much. Even the third one has its moments. Number six is Beverly Hills Cop 2. I haven't seen it. Have you, you've seen the first one. Though, yes, right? I have. It's it's just more. Okay. It just it's. You I've could, heard it's, the third one is terrible. Yeah, but it okay. has it has its moment here okay. and there. But uh, yeah, it's Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, it's yeah. just Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. I In the miss, height of Eddie. Yeah. I miss that Eddie so much. Every I, people do. Everybody does. I miss that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got a fun little cameo from Gilbert Gottfried in it. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, one of Chris Rock's first movies as well, playing a valet outside of the Playboy Mansion. Uh, number five, we have... Cri- oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. So, so you haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop 2? No. I'm just looking at what's left on this list. Okay, all right, keep, keep going. Number five, we have Crimson Tide. Okay. Which you have seen. Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, I revisited this one. It was on HBO. And I couldn't help myself. I had to pop. I love a good submarine movie. Yeah. I love Hunt for Red October. I don't think this doesn't really hold a candle to Hunt for Red October, but it's still, I, I love the moral questions that it poses. Yeah. Uh, y- yes. It's, and, it, it's a better movie. And I think, well, this might pl- play my hand a little. I think with some help with the script, uh, it, it definitely elevated what could have been just a mediocre film. Well, and Hackman, let's be honest, Hackman really hams it up. Yeah. He, I think Hackman oversells it a little bit, but it's got, uh, Vigo is incredible in it. Yeah, it's got a, and yeah, it's a, you get a big ensemble. It's another cast that just yeah. won't quit. Yep, yep. Uh, number four, we have Revenge, which I I I am surprised it's on. I I've not seen it, but I'm surprised it's this high on your list. It's so good. Uh, okay. it, it laid the groundwork for what he would later do in uh in Man on Fire, and uh, and Quentin Tarantino loves it apparently. So I I I read a blurb where he was talking about how when he found out that. Tony was going to be making his script True Romance. He was got so excited. He told everybody, the guy who made Revenge is making one of my scripts. I yeah. mean, it's uh, Kevin Costner. Yes, I knew that. Kevin Costner plays a retired like Navy guy who is friends with this kind of shady, I think it's Anthony Quinn, and he's married to this beautiful, Madeline Stowe. Okay. He's, he's married to her, and they have this tumultuous affair, which ends in, you know, as the title implies, if Kevin Costner needs to go out for revenge for what happens because of this affair that he has. I mean, it's it's good. Okay. It's a little long, but it's uh, it's it, it's a little different than everything else in his in his canon. Yeah. Number three, we have Man on Fire. Okay. Now here's I hated Man on Fire the first time I saw it, and I couldn't tell you why. I walked out of that thing just annoyed. 
and feel like I had been assaulted. <laughs> but it it over the years it's really grown on me. I love Christopher Walken in it. That the whole line about how Creasy is an Creasy artist. There. Yeah, he's an artist and he's about to paint his masterpiece. His art is death, and he's about to paint his masterpiece. Yeah, the grenade up inside the up inside the bum. Yep. Perfect. Love yep. it. I, it's. I don't know why I ha- I'm trying to wrap my mind around why I hated it the first time I saw it. I can't I, I, I can't put my finger on it s- precisely. Similar, similar but different. The first time I watched District 9, I I couldn't stand it. And oh, I, no, I, yeah, I can get that. And I don't know why I don't but I don't know why. You asked me why, I couldn't tell you. And then yeah. the next time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, wait, this is good." Yeah. This is a good movie. So yeah, anyways. Yeah, and I I yeah, man, I I like Man on Fire. Yeah. So good. there's only two left. Yep. And I think you've seen both of them. I have not. Okay. You've not seen Spy Game. I've not. That is surprising to me. So Spy Game's my number two. I, that was the one I was going to watch last night. I just did not find uh, time. It's, it's fine. Redford and Pitt, it's it's perfect because people compared Brad Pitt at the time to Robert Redford at the same age, and he was making a lot of those types of thrillers and stories about cover-ups, obviously, with All the President's Men and then uh, Three Days of the Condor, Condor yep, and stuff yep. like that. Um yeah, they just work so well together. I mean, the movie is mostly told in flashbacks because it's about Robert Redford on his last day at CIA finding out that Brad Pitt is being held in a, in a Chinese prison and is about to get executed. And so it's him remembering the training and the, all the different times they met and how they kind of came to blows over different issues. And it's him. I love the, all the cheeky ways behind the scenes that he's trying to pull the strings on his last day to get him out of there. It's it's good. I think you're going to like it a lot. Yeah. And that only leaves one. Which is the... The best Tarantino film not directed by Tarantino. Yeah. I love True Romance. True Romance and Liz loves True Romance. It's the movie that we first... And I always loved it, but now it's got an even more special place in my heart. It's the first film that Liz and I watched together. We bonded over it so much. We even have... Uh, in our bedroom, we have this piece of... Um, I know you like your minimalist posters yeah. that you can find from some some great people on Etsy. We yeah. have one of those, which it's the sunglasses that they both wear in the movie and spelled out in the sunglasses. It's, you are so cool. I, yeah, a true, romance, true Romance was my replacement for Badlands way, way early That's on. That's right. Episode three. Yeah, and, it, and how much that took from, from Badlands Yo. down to the, that piece of music. Yes. Which yes. I actually played as Liz walked down the aisle when we got married. Oh my! I didn't know that. That's oh, great. I didn't tell you that. No, story. you did not. That's, so That's this is great. how special this film is to us. Yeah. But it's oh man, we could sit here and probably just talk all night about true romance. We the, could, and and I think, you know, what, an important thing to bring up is what Tony Scott could do with a good script and a and a and a cast. No, and oh god, well yes, and he he was. I mean that's. He was able to get great ensemble cast. It's amazing. Like repeatedly. Yes. Yes, exactly. But I think what elevates some of those those later mu- movies that you did and the ones that I've seen and enjoyed is the fact that he had a good screenplay to work with. You know, where it kind of goes off the rails are the incomplete ones like Top Gun or like Deja Vu and, what, and how you um, described Unstoppable where it's like the logic just – it doesn't add up. It's, yeah. it's, it's not exactly where it needs yeah. to be. Can I ask what your favorite moment in True Romance is? It's it's is it the Walken Hopper? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's that to me. Ten greatest scenes in any film ever. It's it's so it's it's too good. Yeah. I mean, and and there's a great there's a bunch of great moments in the movie, but and based on a real conversation, you got me in a vendetta kind of mood. I guess I listening oh, to, listening to Tarantino's commentary. He's he had a a guy that he grew up with, a kind of like 
his mom was really good friends with this this neighbor who told him that story. Yeah. Which I love hearing that. And all the little cameos and then bit parts from people that hadn't made it big yet, like Brad Pitt yeah. playing the stoner guy. Yep. All I got is fucking Floyd. And smoke, Floyd don't, smoked the last page of the don't, letter. Don't fucking condescend to me, man. Uh, that fucking, I, I'll fucking kill you, man. I quote that so goddamn much. <laughs> and Gary Oldman. Oh, Gary Oldman is perfect. Ooh, I, it's so racist and oh, so it, terrible. Yes, yeah, very much so. Oh, Sam Jackson's in that too. Yeah, in a very, team, very yeah, small he gets, role. He gets bumped off. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. And um, I love. Ma- I know Michael Rapaport doesn't have the best reputation as a as a good actor. I don't think he's a well, great actor. And just but even he's like so Saul Rubinek's in it, Bronson Pinchot is in it. The, the cast is off the charts. And the two guys playing the cops are Sizemore and um, Sean Penn's older or younger Chris brother. Penn. Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. Gandolfini's in this thing. Oh my god, yeah. that scene. That's tough. That's a tough scene. But I love that she gets. I love the vengeance there that happens. Oh yeah. So this was so this was this was our because Tony Scott is not in the book besides Top Gun. This really was our Tony Scott tribute episode. Yeah. Um. And and, and so, I, at least I do. I miss him. I miss him so much. I'm I so think sad you would have kept we making didn't. movies of of this. You know, if you're not fans of the kind of movie he made, you would like it. But he he knew what he was doing. Rock and, and roll and we, movies, man. We talked about the, you knew a Tony Scott movie when you saw it. Yeah. Um. So this was our Tony Scott slash Top Gun episode. Um. So th- and that's what we think about. Top Gun and Tony Scott and his films. Uh, we'd love to know what you think, where his films kind of rank uh, in your opinion. So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know. If you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. Please like, rate, review, subscribe, all those things. Um, uh, the stats really help, and uh, we can use your support as we continue to go through. Uh, so until next time, I'm Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you next week. Watching.